Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey, bosses, this is Johnny, and welcome to episode 271 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I am in Kharkiv, Ukraine, and I'm talking to Kevin Martin in Bangkok, Thailand. Welcome. Hey, what's going on, Johnny? Good to be back. Yeah, so if you guys haven't uh, recognized Kevin's voice by now, he was on episode 256. Uh, we called it a 30 and a wake up, um, traveling abroad. And since then, you've done a lot. You know, you, you've you've done the whole van life thing. And now you have gotten the visa to go to Thailand during basically quarantine lockdown. So I want to talk to you about all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess. Yeah, so you are on day 12 of your quarantine, right? Yeah, day 12 of 14. I'll be out of here in two days and a wake up. Yeah, the, the only good thing about uh, quarantine is I always know uh, you're going to be free for an interview. So it's perfect timing. Yeah, yeah, it's not too bad. You know, I mean, I got a nice, you know, I made sure I got a really nice hotel. I got a whole wall that's all windows that looks over, you know, the city of Bangkok. So a lot of sunlight. So it hasn't been too bad. I mean, obviously, I'd rather not be stuck in a room for, for two weeks, but it hasn't been too bad. Well, I mean, first big question is, why didn't you do the Phuket sandbox quarantine instead? Yeah, so I started making plans to come to Thailand about five months ago. And at that time, uh, you know, Thailand was actually a poster child of countries that had handled COVID the best. And uh, the Phuket sandbox didn't exist yet. So I started booking all my stuff back then. And once you book your stuff, the only way you can cancel is if your flight gets canceled or for some reason you can't go uh, to the country with, without you know losing your money. And I booked an expensive hotel. I also needed to be in Bangkok anyway to finalize my Thai elite visa. So it wasn't that big a deal. You know, I say this all the time. I'm a little bit of an introvert, kind of a loner. You know, I was in the Navy for 20 years, stuck on ships for six, seven months at a time. Like, 14 days is nothing. <laughs> yeah, especially in a nice big hotel room with a view. Yeah. I mean, a, I'm in uh, a really nice hotel yeah. room. Like, so I'm yeah, good. yeah. I saw, I saw the video tour. If you guys want to check it out, uh, you can look for 30 and wake up on YouTube. And Kevin's been doing some live streams and lots <laughs> yeah. of, uh, you know, lots of cool stuff from there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess it does depend a lot on the person. I actually enjoyed uh, my... It wasn't quarantine, but it was basically couldn't you couldn't leave your room lockdown when I was in Sri Lanka last year. It, yeah, I used to be an, an extrovert, and actually during that month of being locked in my room, you know, five days a week for you know, I think actually it was probably two months straight. I became an introvert, and I started enjoying it more. Yeah, I remember listening to a podcast that you did where you talked about that, and in that podcast you discussed like kind of working on passion projects. You, you had time to work on passion projects. And so you started like paying more attention to your YouTube channel. And it's funny, um, I've kind of done the same thing. I've kind of started a new YouTube channel. So I just used this 14 days like productively, you know, doing something I wanted to do anyway. And now it had my like undivided attention, you know? Yeah, so if you want to sign up for Kevin's OnlyFans, <laughs> we'll link it below. <laughs> no, definitely in an OnlyFans. I would make no money doing that. <laughs> <laughs> uh they'll, they'll pay you to stop posting <laughs> yeah no well, so uh actually a big big question about kind of money situation is you were doing really well on youtube for for with van life it was a hot topic yeah. and i think if you just continued that full time 
you would probably make a lot more, at least from, from, you know, those streams of income than taking this big gamble of changing locations. Was it really worth it for you to, to give up all that, you know, potential uh, revenue and, and earnings to follow your passion of travel? So when I started my YouTube channel, my goal with it was to make enough income where it supported my full-time travel lifestyle. But I had worked two pretty stressful jobs and I told myself I was never going to let my YouTube channel dictate my life. I was going to dictate my YouTube channel. And you're right. I made, I make way more money doing van life videos, especially van tour videos. So when I put out van tour videos of other people's rigs, if I'm doing those all month, I can easily make eight to 10 K in revenue. But when I just go out and do hikes in van life and things like that, I discovered this. When I just go out and do hikes, then my revenue falls. But luckily, the good thing about YouTube is it's very evergreen. And so all of those videos that I did that were good generator, good income generators, like made a lot of money in one month, still actually produce. Like the video, my number one video still does $500 a month in revenue. Every single month, it's like clockwork. It's like a, like a stock I bought like 50 years ago or something. It just, every month it pays me 50 bucks because people still watch that thing. It actually has upticked this last month for some reason. I don't know. Someone must have put it on their website or something. Um, and then I have a bunch of other videos that do, you know, 200 here, 200 there, 100 here, 100 there. And then if I, as long as I put out a video every week, um, that'll also generate, you know, 100 $200. And since we talked last, I, I got enough subscribers to have channel memberships. So now I have channel members and I have 108 right now. I peaked at like 120, but I have 108 right now. And they pay like an average of $4 a month. It, there's different tiers that you can join in. And so that's another, you know, $400 plus onto the channel. So I'm not making 10,000 a month in pure ad revenue anymore, but I still, my basement is around 3,000, but normally all of my income sources from YouTube is around 4,000 a month. And then if I have a video that does well, then it'll be more. And if I do a, a packing video, um, like I did recently, I sold a ton of Moreno wool. So my, my affiliate income jumped a thousand dollars. So I'm actually still making uh, decent money, even though I could be making a lot more money had I just did van tour videos with beautiful women. I think that's a, a very cool mindset to be in and kind of position in life where you don't have to be a slave to the, the paycheck. And I think a lot of people end up falling for that, even if they think or they swear, you know, that money doesn't matter and, and they won't uh, ever, you know, let it dictate their life. I think people, I mean, first off, you know, they, the more money they make, usually the more they spend and it's kind of a cycle where it's hard to get out of. Um, have yeah. you, like when you were, you know, when you were making, I don't know, what was like the, the, the max month that, that you made? Like, you know, what I'm sure it was over 10 grand. Was it, you know, if you were making 20 yeah. grand a month, did you all of a sudden go out and start buying, you know, expensive <laughs> things like, you know, Gucci hats and, yeah. and loafers? So I've never been that kind of person. I grew up in a pretty... Uh, lower middle class family. I mean, my my mother always worked, and you know she provided for us. But we always lived in like apartment buildings. I shared you know rooms with my brothers. And um, when I was growing up, you know, when I was like 15, 16 years old, I was going to the library. I was kind of a weird kid, 
And I wanted to, I didn't want to be poor like my mother and father. I wanted to, you know, have a good, um, you know, a financial footing. And so I would go into these libraries and I'd read books by like Robert Allen. I don't know if you remember him. He used to have like no, no money down real estate. He was like a guru back in the day in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to read his books. I would read Carlton Sheets, who was another one. These guys only aren't around anymore. They're probably in their eighties now, but, um, and then uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It wasn't out yet, but I, I found that a couple years later. And, uh, and I used to follow the stock market. And I remember the stock market at the time when I was following it in like 1992, Clinton was president. It was like at 4,000. And I remember thinking, I've got, I've got to, you know, buy these things, real estate, uh, uh, stocks, so that I won't be in the same position as my parents where they're, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck. And so I've always had that mindset and it's never changed. I, I still feel like I'm that poor kid that lived in the trailer park with his dad during the summers, you know? So I, I never spend uh, a lot of money and I don't really buy, you know, things. So I, I've never really had that mentality. I don't even know, know what that's like, <laughs> to be honest with you. I, I'm always, yeah. I've always been a saver. So everything I've made off YouTube for the most part, I've bought other uh, passive income producing assets for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, that's very smart. I, I think that's the by far the best way to do it, especially before you have like a big nest egg. Uh, I think that the number one mistake most people make when they start making a lot of money is, you know, they, they just spend it and they just assume it's going to keep coming forever. You know, I knew a lot of yeah. marketers when I was uh, in Chiang Mai that were doing like, you know, 30 grand a month and <laughs> they just blew it all and they had nothing to to show for it after their yeah. campaigns dried up. So you know, yeah, the, it's really sad. Yeah. I mean, my saving grace was I saved probably 80% of everything I earned this last, you know, seven years as an entrepreneur. And that's the only reason why I'm in the same position as you now, where I can make YouTube videos as a, a, a passion, as a hobby on topics that I like, instead of just making to- you know uh, videos about things I know will do well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, it's a, I, and I recommend that to, to everybody. Uh, what you just said, which is save as big a percent of your income as you can. I mean, there are plenty of people that have that, that have become millionaires off of forty thousand dollar a year income. They live off twenty thousand and they invest the other twenty thousand. So anybody can do it at any income level. But if you can have a have something like you had, where you're uh, where you're bringing in tons of money, that's when you can really like supercharge that stuff. I mean, all those guys that were coming up with you little did they realize that it was going to be the greatest bull market in the history of the world. Had they took that money and stuck it in, they could have stuck it in anything and it would be worth four, four times what it was then right now. You know? Yeah. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to, history is going to repeat itself. So if you're listening to this thinking, Oh, it's too late. I wish, you know, I would have you know been able to do this five years ago. You know, it's going to happen again. Like, like who knows? Yeah, it's it, never it, too late. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it, 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 always repeats itself. I mean, you can see it right now getting to that point that, you know, I, I started investing uh, when I joined the military in 1994 at, you know, when the, when the dot-com era started. So I was buying all these, you know, internet stocks, you know, I was like one of those, you know, just trying to day trade and make a bunch of money. And then I had a wake up call in, in 2001, uh, you know, when the dot or in 1999, when the dot-com bubble bursts, and um, that was kind of my big lesson. So 
I, I kept investing and there were, you know, there were recessions like in 2001 and a few other ones, but I was really ready for the uh, great recession. And I kind of welcomed it because I knew that it was just, you know, it was going to be temporary. I didn't realize that it was going to come back as crazy as it did, but it's going to happen again. I mean, there's all, you can just spot the, you can pop the bubbles right now. They're all over the place. Yeah. So uh, super interesting. You know, if anything, we should save this for an invest like a boss episode. I think uh, (laughs) lots to talk about there. Uh, But here I wanted to jump into the van life year it, it it was a i think you you got in like right before it was super super popular like it it's yeah. you, you kind of just got in at the perfect time were you thinking about it for a long time before that or how did you how did you kind of join that community that lifestyle yeah so i had one on two rv trips when i was a kid one to florida and one to colorado i always had fond memories of it i mentioned in the last podcast that i had been traveling the world with a program called remote year for a year my program just happened to end March, 2020. So I was home visiting my mother because I had been gone a year and uh, I was getting ready to head back out. I was actually going to a Nomad Summit. Uh, I was doing Nomad Train, <laughs> Nomad Fest. I was doing all the Nomad stuff. And I, and I already had eight months of travel booked. And then obviously, you know, the pandemic hit and I couldn't travel like that. So I was like, okay, I've got this YouTube channel that's just starting to get some traction and I can't really travel. Like, what am I going to do? And it already it had always been in the back of my mind to do some uh, RVing or van life type stuff. I was like, well, you know what? Let me just do it now. And I bet you they're pretty cheap because everyone's trying to sell them because they have no idea what's going to happen. And that was the case. Um, nobody nobody predicted that there would be this huge surge in people wanting RVs because of the pandemic. And so I bought my RV right before the pandemic, and then. Um, uh, you know, headed out and started making YouTube videos right as people realized, okay, I've been home for three months now. This sucks. I need <laughs> some kind of some kind of recreation. I mean, look at an RV. I've always wanted an RV. Let's go ahead and look at an RV. I can't, you know, I've saved a bunch of money because I can't do anything. The government's giving me a sim- stimulus check every four months. So let me buy an RV and let me look on the on YouTube and see what the good ones are. And so, yeah, I, I got, I was really fortunate. I kind of caught a wave uh, and it really helped my YouTube channel. And I'm, I'm kind of going to guess, but you probably made money from that, th- that RV. Even you, you, probably, you bought it oh, brand yeah. new, right? Yeah. So I bought it brand new and I sold it. Um, the, the used RV market is really hot right now too. I sold it about three and a half months ago for only 2000 less than I paid for it. So I had that RV for a whole year put 30,000 miles on it. And I, and I, and I didn't really lose anything off of it. I was able to just cash out and walk away. And the good thing about building up my YouTube channel is now RV companies want me to take their RVs out for free. Like I sold my RV and then I went into another RV. I don't know if you watched any of that. I went into another mm-hmm. van called a storyteller, which is a $200,000 off-road, you know, behemoth. And I lived in that for a month before I, before I headed over to Hawaii. And I have all kinds of RV companies reaching out to me, wanting me to take out their vehicles, including Winnebago, who I, who I, you know, I, I paid, you know, hundred thousand plus for a vehicle. Now they just want to give me one to, you know, run around in. That is awesome. I think that's yeah. actually one of those fringe benefits of having a popular YouTube channel that a lot of people don't really think about is you know, if you become a good ambassador of a product, you know, and I think you, it, the only way to do it is to actually 
buy it yourself in the beginning, whether it's, you know, you have a tech channel, you know, Marcus Brownlee, you know, bought his first, you know, you know, 10 smartphones and laptops to review. And then now, you know, Apple, Samsung, everyone's sending him stuff to review. You know, it's, it's kind of a, one of the biggest perks. Yeah. I mean, it's great. <laughs> that the company storyteller wants me to, they just did a new, a new model and they want me to come back in January and take it out and do some cold. I was kind of famous for doing like cold weather camping. They want me to take it out and make some videos, cold weather camping with it. Um, and they're like, yeah, you can take it out however long you want, you know, just <laughs> let us know. I don't know if I'm going to do that yet, but um, yeah, it's just really cool that now I can, I don't even have to buy one. I can just go and have someone give me one. And I always, it's always a stipulation. Like they're not paying, they don't pay me. I don't accept any money, but the deal is I can say whatever I want. You can't censor my content. So I, you know, I say genuine, I think with my audience that way. And I always tell them that like, Hey, look, I can say whatever I want about this vehicle. If it sucks, I'm going to tell you it sucks. Um, and it's nice to be in that position where I don't have to take any money from them. I just take their vehicle and I get to say whatever I want. That's cool. So if, if they want to send one out to uh, Ukraine, you should fly out. We should do a road trip together. <laughs> you know you know what? Uh, so there's a company called Volta that makes the power systems an amazing power system. They're kind of like, they're kind of like the Tesla of RV batteries. Um, they're, they're just amazing products. And they actually asked me, hey, do you want to do some stuff in Europe? We're trying to get the Volta system over to Europe. We might be putting it in some rigs. And I'm like, yeah, just let me know. So if they do that, I'll let you know. Yeah, that'd be fun. Actually, one thing I, I, I really want to do is take like a probably a three-week trip around Iceland in an RV. So that, that's been on my, my radar. Oh, that would be amazing. That'd be amazing, actually. Yeah. All right, let's 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 do it. We're, we're both YouTubers now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, uh, okay. So you, you were making you know pretty good money from, from YouTube. You decided to take this big kind of... Uh, you know, uh, paycheck, uh, cut to follow, you know, f- follow your dreams. Uh, why did you go to Hawaii? That, that's, you know, the most expensive place <laughs> humanly possible. Uh, and how was it during COVID? Was it just idyllic? Cause there's no, no tourists there. Um, yeah, so it was idyllic at first. And then all of a sudden people, people started coming over. So it got really crowded. I stayed there for two months. It got really crowded towards the end. So the one good thing about living the lifestyle that you and I live, which is we can afford, I can afford, I can afford a $2,000 a month place in Bangkok and be balling with some, you know, infinity pool, but I can, I'm also, but what I do is I stay in a $500 a month place with a halfway decent pool and a halfway decent gym and a new building. Um, and so because I do that, some months I can go to a place like Hawaii and pay more because, you know, my overall cost of living throughout the year is pretty low. And so I don't really feel bad about it. However, I actually got my apartment for for much less than you would normally pay to live in Waikiki. So I got a studio apartment, a nice apartment in a high rise. I was on the 19th floor, uh, had a partial view of the ocean, a view of the mountains, and it was $1,200 for the month, per month. Wow, that's great. Any other time in Waikiki, that apartment would be 2,200 to 2,500. Actually, the people who came in behind me rented it for the month for 2,700, but that's just because it was, you know, July and that's just a hot time to be in Hawaii. But yeah, yeah so I got to keep anyway because I went during the pandemic. Yeah, that was smart. And was everything open or like, were there a lot of restrictions? Yeah, everything was open. Uh, there, yeah, the only restriction was, you know, mask indoors. That was it. I did have to do a PCR test before I got to, before I got on a plane to come to Hawaii. 
Um, but even if you don't do the PCR test, you just have to self quarantine for 10 days, but I didn't have to do that. Cause I got a PCR test. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I think a lot of people are going to kick themselves in the butt for not, I don't want to say traveling during the pandemic. Cause you know, that wasn't really, um, you know, good for the world <laughs> either, but relocating to somewhere rather than being in, you know, the city center of New York or, or, you know, LA or San Francisco during that time, you know, it just like, to me, it made so much sense to just get out of there and say, you know what, this is a time where I can just move to some, you know, mountain town summer or to some island summer and just ride it out for the next year or the next, you know, couple of months. Yeah. I, I mentioned, I traveled with all them remote year people and you know, they're all nomads that have jobs and they like one of them rented a, a house in Lake Tahoe, you know, cause he didn't want to stay down in new Orleans where he, where he's from. So I just rented a house in Tahoe, this amazing house uh, with a view of Lake Tahoe and he got it for like a third of the price than you would normally pay. So it was like a great time to do that kind of thing if you wanted to do it. And it was also probably more safe than, you know, hanging out in LA or New Orleans or New York. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And actually, what was funny was uh, last year during the pandemic, I was in Sri Lanka and every weekend, the, you know, people with, with a little bit you know better jobs and more money uh, that lived in the capital of Colombo they would drive, you know, four hours to the south uh, where I was, or even drive like eight hours to the east in Aragon Bay, the surf spot uh, where I was living. And they would just spend, you know, two days or three days and then drive back to Colombo. And I'm like, aren't you working remotely now? Why don't you just stay here for a month? You know, you can rent a place for, you know, two, $300 a month instead of paying 50 bucks a night for the hotel and then driving you know, eight hours or whatever it is. And all of them are just like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I can. I'm like, what is stopping you? And it's this mindset, you know, that not only exists in Sri Lanka, but, you know, uh, in the US and kind of, you know, pretty much, you know, uh, throughout the world that has prevented people from having one of the best years of their life, you know, like a real unique opportunity to be able to live on a beautiful beach or, you know, or, or in a mountain town without the tourists for a quarter of the price. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, we're talking about Thailand here last year, the safest places in the world to be were Thailand and New Zealand because they had done so well. I mean, someone could have flew to Thailand, did the 14 days quarantine and then lived, you know, lived in Thailand for a year if they got, you know, a visa and, you know, paid $3,000 a year for, you know, a really nice condo on the beach. Yeah. So uh, one kind of big lesson learned though, uh, that you kind of uh, mentioned earlier is pre-booking anything you know five months in advance during these oh, yeah. times is probably a bad idea <laughs> Very, yeah that was yeah i mean i did i actually made that mistake twice uh you know yeah definitely not i'm definitely i'm done those days are over for me i'm gonna be basically going month to month for the most part now yeah and it sucks because i liked you know pre-planning and i i like to be rewarded for booking things in advance you know but nowadays it's just it's just not possible anymore. So the, all the people who were like the last minute kind of like, oh, who guys, they won. So we kind of just have to accept yeah, yeah. The, the new rules. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, like for example, like my Airbnb, uh, listen here, everybody books like the same day, you know, or maybe the day before. Nobody books, you know, a week in advance or a month in advance anymore. It's, it's crazy. It just- That is, cra that is crazy. You know, yeah. And I think it's also because Airbnb has a terrible return, you know, uh, refund policy for guests, uh, especially yeah. for monthly bookings. You know, it's, there's not even an option as a host to be flexible with 
um, the cancellations. If somebody, if you booked five months ahead for my Airbnb and, you know, four and a half months ahead, you had to cancel, you would get nothing back. How, how crazy yeah, is that? Yeah, it's a weird, it's that whole 30 days, uh, you know, we're going to keep 30 days. It's just crazy, especially, I mean, you're, you're like me. We use the crap out of Airbnb. Another topic would be that they don't have a rewards program, which is just stupid. Yeah, I, I can't wait till they have a viable competitor that like understands the customer service side a little bit better. That being said, I actually ended up getting refunded for all the travel I booked, which I was really surprised. Some of it took a while, but eventually I got I got refunded or I got Airbnb credit, which I was fine with because I knew I would use it. But yeah, if they if they just tweak that customer service angle. I mean, if there's ever a viable competitor, I'm leaving them because they don't have a rewards program and their cancellation policy is ridiculous. And I'm, yeah. I am I spent a ton of money with them. Yeah, I'm the same way. And now I'm actually an Airbnb host. So I'm talking even from this perspective, like I don't want it to be a pain in the butt, you know, for, for people staying here. Like I want it to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and no, I, actually, yeah. I don't know if you know this. So when Airbnb, I don't want to, I don't know about like first got started, but you know, let's say three, four years ago, they used to really be customer centric uh, as in, you know, the, the people staying in the Airbnbs, they, they really took care of them. Now they're very host centric where they realized there's always going to be customers because um, there's just you know, demand, but the more hosts they can get, the, the better they're going to do. So th- they are basically, they're treating us hosts as their customers now. Like, that, like, and here's a good example is I remember three or four years ago, they used to um, charge the hosts, you know, I don't know, let's say five, 10, 20%, whatever it was uh, for their cut. Now we only pay 3%. All the fees get past the customer. Yeah. That's crazy. That, that's crazy. Yeah. So Airbnb yeah, is make- making money from the customer, like from the customers and no longer the host, which is really strange. It's a strange shift. Yeah. I can't, be- I can't believe there's not a, um, you know, an alternative like to Uber, there's Lyft, you know, even over here in Thailand now it's grab and bolt, like bolts kicking grabs butt right now. So I'm, I'm just shocked that there hasn't, there's not an, an alternative yet, a viable yeah. alternative. Yeah. And, and, you know, especially in like local markets, like you would think, you know, a company would pop up in, you know, whatever city, right. Let's say Barcelona and yeah. be like, we are, you know, uh, daily and monthly rents Barcelona, you know? Yeah. Or like Grab in Asia, you know, just an Asia-centric Airbnb, you know, that's run out of Malaysia or something. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's strange, but uh, it's been a it's been a fun uh, last what three four weeks of being an Airbnb host for the first time and seeing the other side <laughs> of it because <laughs> I've been cool. staying in Airbnbs for like six or seven years now, probably. That's very cool. Congratulations on your uh, two purchases too, man. That's awesome. I've been yeah, following been uh, your YouTube journey with that. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. And you're the opposite, right? Didn't you unload some of your properties? Yeah, I've only got one left uh, that I keep near my mother's. I've actually been transitioning most of my, most of that kind of wealth more into uh, dividend, uh, dividend stocks to get a little bit more passive income. I've thought about the Airbnb thing in the past. I got a ton of friends that do it, uh, but you did it the right way though. Like your your places are all are fully paid off, right? Yeah. But the bad thing about yeah. that is they're not they're not scalable. Like I'm I'm basically gonna run out of money after you know one or two more units. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah that's true. And even with a like a twenty percent return, which is insane, 
it will still take five years to recoup the money to be able to buy another one. Yeah. Still pretty cool though, to have a place to stay that's your own, but on the side, you can make uh, pretty decent money for the low cost investment that you put into it relative to like other places in the world where you would buy something like that. Yeah, definitely. It has been fun. And actually I discovered a couple hosting hacks uh, for nomads. <laughs> so instead of, um, you know, making the place um, not available for the, for the dates I want to be in town, I've just doubled or even sometimes tripled the nightly price. And I figured nobody, you know, instead of it just being unavailable, people just won't book it on those days. And if they do, I'll happily <laughs> just move into somewhere else. <laughs> wow, that's actually really, that's actually a really smart hack. So <laughs> You're there, you're there, and someone's like, Yeah, I'll pay three hundred dollars for the night. And you're like, okay, and then you can yeah. go get a fifty dollar, a fifty dollar hotel and you're yeah. making two hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, That's and brilliant. yeah, and if nothing else, I get a free room cleaning because you know, I have to pay the the maid to come and uh you know clean before and after them. So it's just like it, yeah. it's the smartest hack ever. And and actually the, the other reason why it's it's good is let's say somebody wants to stay for an entire month. If you have, if you had blocked off one weekend of that month that you just happened to want to be in town, they wouldn't be able to find it uh, on Airbnb and they wouldn't be able to book it. But if those nights just happen to be more expensive, they might still book the whole month. Uh, and you might be like, okay, that's great. I got a good customer. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's a really, that, that's a good hack to know. You should make a video about that. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how many Airbnb hosts know, like have thought of that hack. That's brilliant actually. Yeah. But you know, at the same time, I think most of them aren't actually staying in their units. And that was my biggest gripe about Airbnb is it originally started as, you know, you rent out your place, you know, that you normally live in. I don't think I've stayed in a place that someone ever has ever lived in, in the, in the past, you know, probably 10 years. I think my first Airbnb was uh, a, a girl's apartment in in Toronto. And then then I stayed in one in somewhere in Hamburg, Germany. That was a girl's apartment. I think I'm pretty sure she just went to go stay with her boyfriend that weekend. <laughs> that, that I was I was booking it. And yeah. aside from those two, probably the you know 50 or even 100 other Airbnbs were rental only units. I, I can tell like no one's ever lived in there, not, not even for a night. Yeah, that's a fair point. Now that I think about it, recently in recent history, all of mine are are you know churn units. They churn. Yeah. And I think it's a shame because it, it loses a lot of the, the homey touches. Um, yeah. And even though they're functional, they're always missing something. You know, you're always kind of like, yeah. how is there no spatula or how, you know, like how's, how is it missing like such a basic thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that's my kind of whole plan is I want to have multiple units and basically just bounce around between them, depending on which one's getting booked. Uh, and then if all of them get booked for a higher price, I'll just check in. Like I've literally checked into a hostel for two nights and said, all right, I'll, I'll cash flow, you know, a hundred bucks to end stay in a hostel for a few nights. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Man. That's a, that's a really cool plan. You got to let me know. Uh, I got to find you on Airbnb so I can, uh, mark you down as one of the hosts. Uh, so if I pass through the places, you've got places, I'll just uh, book your place. Yeah, that's cool. Actually, it's funny. Uh, one of the, I don't know if he was, a a YouTube follower or a blog follower or something, but uh, a guy from Italy, he messaged me saying, Hey, I'm going to be in Kharkiv from, you know, uh, September 6th for two months. Can I book your place? And then I sent him my link and yeah, he, 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 he's a long-term customer now. He's going to stay for two months, assuming that he can get into to Ukraine, but so far it seems like everything's okay. Yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So what are your plans in, in Thailand? How long are you going to stay for? Yeah. So I, 
so Thailand's kind of I'm kind of looking at it like van life right now. I'm I'm probably at this moment I might be the only YouTuber that's not Thai that's in Bangkok right now. All of the rest of them have scattered to the places that you have a little bit more freedom of movement, like Phuket and Koh Samui. And this might be another time when I just get lucky that I'm, you know, I'm in a, I'm in the right place at the right time. I didn't, that's not what I had going on in my brain when I came here. But as I'm sitting here and looking at empty streets in Bangkok, I'm like, there, there's never going to be another opportunity in the history of my lifetime that I'm going to be able to walk around Bangkok and, and film it so empty. And so I'm actually kind of looking forward to that to be honest with you. Um, how long am I going to stay here? I'm not really sure. Um, I have the Thai elite visa now. And so I, people keep asking me that. And I joke around. I'm like either uh, from a month to 20 years, somewhere, somewhere in between a month to 20 years. So I'm not hundred percent sure. Uh, my goal was to make Thailand my Asia home base country for travel vlogging. So I could, you know, hop to Vietnam, hop to Malaysia, hop to Indonesia, uh, hop to Laos, hop to Cambodia. Um, but right now, obviously, with the current situation, I'll probably just hunker down here for a little bit until I can figure out um, when I can travel. I'm hoping it opens up a little bit more in-country because my plan is to buy a motorcycle and just, you know, drive, just drive everywhere in Thailand on a motorcycle and try to find some things that people haven't filmed yet, which I, which is probably not possible, but I'll try anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, the very first video we can make could be titled the only white guy in Thailand or Bangkok. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's funny because, you know, I started doing the van life thing and I was really like the only guy making videos about this one specific RV that just happened to be the most popular selling RV in the country. And you know, as well as I do, Thailand is a popular travel genre. Like it's just going to get views when you make videos on Thailand. And there's not a lot of people here. They're all scattering like the wind. And so this is probably the time that you want to be here to capture the viewers that are looking for new Thailand content. And at some point, the gates are going to open and people are going to start booking. And I'm going to be able to run around during that time, too. So I'm actually looking forward to it. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be some kind of boon or windfall in, in YouTube subscribers and views, but I just kind of have a feeling that it might be. Yeah, that's interesting. So you had mentioned earlier about the kind of YouTube channel memberships, kind of like uh, their version of Patreon. What, what, what's the difference, actually? Yeah, so to be honest with you, I've never had Patreon, so I don't, I don't know. I think it's something that YouTube did because they, you know, they realized it was another revenue source for them. Um, and Patreon, you know, almost all YouTubers, successful YouTubers at the time had Patreon. So I'm assuming they invented that program to compete with Patreon. I, I just wanted to keep it all on, on one platform. And maybe that's not very smart. Maybe I should have diversified. But I like the idea of just having it on YouTube. So whatever a person pays on, uh, for channel memberships, uh, YouTube takes 30% and you get 70%. So you get 70% of whatever the revenue is. So it's very similar to Patreon from what I've seen. And you have different tier level levels that you can set. And then people, you know, pay whatever the tier level price is. And then they get certain benefits like my basic tier, which is where most of my members are. They get these like channel badges and a bunch of emojis. And the next level, there's like a, a members only live stream uh, that I do. And then, you know, it, it goes up and up from there. 
so it's very similar to Patreon. It's just contained within in the U, uh, the YouTube ecosphere. And what I like about it is another another good revenue generator that I found are live streams. You know, I can I make anywhere from four hundred to a thousand dollars a month doing live streams because people do those super chats, and my channel members in this in the chat their badge shows up. And they can also do those, those special emojis. I paid a graphic designer to do some emojis that were specific to my channel and they can splash those emojis. And so whenever I do live streams, I always get more channel members because they wanna be able to do the emojis and it's only $1.99 to do it for a month. And uh, I get a lot more super chats too, a lot more people paying to you know say, hey, thanks for putting out this video. It's actually kind of, it's kind of crazy. So, I've, so, the, so since we talked last, I've kind of diversified my YouTube income. I've got the ad revenue still going, ad revenue still going. I, I do live streams, which builds community um, and makes uh, super chat revenue. And then I have the channel membership revenue. So really three pots of revenue coming in. I did have merchandise for a little bit, but I wasn't satisfied with the quality of it. And so I canceled that. Oh yeah, that's smart. Actually, it's, it's funny. There's so many, you know, kind of famous YouTubers that, have never even seen or worn their merch because <laughs> I think on uh, on YouTube there's only I think two or three like certified merch companies and all their qualities yeah. from what I've seen are, are terrible. Like it's like you would think that they would vet it better and just say you know what let's 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 just have you know good quality shirts. Yeah, and then you can just pass on the cost to the customer because the 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 YouTube people that are buying that stuff will pay twenty five dollars for a shirt instead of twenty. They'll pay. They'll pay both. So why not just get a better quality shirt? Uh, yeah, I don't get it. it. The problem with mine was the prints were. I guess the shirts were okay, but the prints would, you know, break after a couple, after a couple um, trips through the laundry machine. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I still have my stickers left on there, and I made. I actually made them where I don't make any money off of them, so people just can buy them at cost. I don't even look at it anymore mm-hmm. if they want a sticker because those were okay, uh, but the the other merch was it was terrible. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So I, I just took a look at Patreon's pricing. You know, they, they only take eight to 12% of uh, yeah. the revenue. So it's a big difference. I'm, I'm actually surprised that the, that YouTube didn't match that pricing that they decided to take 30% because that's a huge jump. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, and I thought about that, but the way I looked at it and maybe I should have done a Patreon, but the way, the way I looked at it was because you can do everything in YouTube, if you're watching a live stream and you see somebody do like a van, like I have one of the emojis is like my van. You see someone do that van emoji and you're like how they do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, they're more likely to hit that join button than to go over to Patreon, sign up for a yeah. Patreon account. Like, I so I, I thought like, like the turnover, I thought like getting the customer, like getting the person to become a channel subscriber was worth the premium I would have to pay. And I don't know, cause I haven't done both. If I would, I mean, I have 108 channel members now. Maybe I would only have 60 Patreon, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I'm maybe, maybe it would be smarter to do Patreon, but it's just so easy for somebody to join um, just on YouTube. Cause most people who do that kind of thing already have like their YouTube account or their Google account set up with, you know, to be able to pay. And so they just press the join button and it accesses their credit card and they say, do you want to do this? And they hit okay. And now they're a member and now they can do all the membership stuff and, and things like that. So I just thought paying the premium for that 
ease to acquire the the member um, just made sense. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I think that was a actually a smart move. Um, so I, I was actually very curious about why you were doing so many live streams because I mean, well, right now you're in quarantine, so it's probably just something to do. But in general, live streams get way less views than actual videos. I mean, I'm taking a look at your live streams here and you're lucky to get, you know, 3,000 or 5,000 views versus a normal video, which will get, you know, 40,000, 100,000, you know, views. But it's, it is interesting that, that there is this uh, monetization behind it that normal videos don't get. Yeah. So here's, so there's a bunch of schools of thought on live streams. The way that the thing that I kind of fell into was it's actually a good way to build community and people that will watch your videos, no matter what you do. So I'm transitioning from van life back to international travel and my videos don't get as many views um, as they used to, because people who are interested in van life oftentimes aren't interested in, you know, Thailand or anything else are interested in watching van videos. And I understand that if I was, you know, watching a channel about cooking and they started doing sewing videos, I wouldn't watch the sewing videos. So um, what I've noticed is the community that shows up for my live streams also shows up and watches whatever kind of content I put out. And I think it's because I interact, I answer just about every question that's asked on the live stream. And so I'm interacting with those, with, you know, the people watching the live streams and it, 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 it seems to have converted them to like watching my channel, no matter what type of content I put out, even if they just came there for the van life stuff. So I've realized that it's actually a really big community builder. It also is my number one generator of channel members. I rarely get channel members outside of the live streams, inside the live streams, because people have those, you know, they have badges and every month the badge changes, changes to a different badge. And so, it, you know, I kind of like equate it to like military rank, like people are always striving for that next rank. And then people see that other people have these badges. And so they're like, oh, I want to do this. You know, it's only $2 a month or, you know, whatever. And uh, uh, that's where I get all my channel members. And then there's the super chat side and people will pay to get their question put at the top of my question list, even though I answer all the questions anyway, they, they don't have to pay anything, but they do. They just, they throw money out there uh, during those super chats. So, or during those uh, live streams. So it's, it's actually a pretty decent income generator. You don't make much off of um, ad revenue off of it, but you do, get instant revenue from the super chats and then residual uh, revenue from people joining as channel members. Yeah, that's really, really smart. So I'm taking a look at your channel now, uh, 30 and a wake up if anyone wants to follow along. Uh, I have a bit of a, a trivia uh, question for you. Without without yeah. looking, what do you think your worst performing video that you've ever made was? The, the lowest views? And I'll give you a hint. <laughs> Oh, it's I know gone. what it is. Hummingbird. Hummingbird. Yeah. <laughs> 184 <laughs> views. You know, and that was with my Sony a6500 camera. So good. That was one of my first videos. You know, the only reason I know the answer to that is because somebody, I answer every comment to every video and somebody commented on that video the other day. And I was oh like, holy God. cow, somebody watched that video. And I hit reply, you know, I replied to their, <laughs> I went into the video because I, I, I was like, oh my God, I still even have that up. So I went into the video and I, I saw that it had a hundred and something. That's the only reason I know that because just the other day, someone replied, you know, said, Hey, I like this video. <laughs> Somebody that searched hummingbirds or something probably. 
That is so funny. Um, and, and yeah, the second uh, least viewed video, 263 views, is the review of the Sony A6500. And yeah. you know, that's an expensive camera and it's, it's yeah. crazy. You know, it's like, I'm sure if you just type, someone typed in, you know, Sony uh, A6500 review, there would be huge channels on that, but it's probably because they yeah. are dedicated photography review uh, channels. Yeah, that was at the, both those videos were probably my first 10 or 15 videos. It was back before, I, I think even before I had quit my job, actually they definitely were before I quit my job. And I was just trying to like learn how to make content. And the hummingbird video was actually me testing the slow-mo of that A6500. And I was like, oh, this is a pretty cool video. I'm going to put it up. But yeah, the, uh, yeah, those, <laughs> I'm sure those videos didn't get very many views. But, but when you're thinking about how to get subscribers, because you don't know yet, I'm like, well, if I do a review of a camera, those always get a lot of views. So that I did a review of that camera, which is a terrible review. Like I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to, I know, I knew nothing about, <laughs> about like filming with that camera. Are, are you still uh, using that camera or do you use something else now? No, nah, I, I mean, the phones are so good now. I have an iPhone 12 uh, Pro Max and the, the main lens on that now has the internal stabilization built in and it has the digital stabilization and it has a little bit of bulk of background. All my recent videos have been shot almost exclusively with that. And it's just, I don't have to pack anything. I only travel with one bag. Um, I have a, a little tiny, small gimbal for it to do live streams. So I use that. And sometimes I'll use my GoPro 9, but I'm really about minimalist gear now. Uh, and the quality of the cameras is getting so good that like you can't, you almost can't tell the difference. And it does a lot of things better other than low light. Um, the iPhone 12 Pro Max is right up there with any other camera other than low yeah. light stuff. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I actually have the iPhone 12 non-Pro Max and it actually has the exact same main camera. It's it's missing the 2X zoom camera, but I'm assuming yeah. you're not using that to film anyways. Yeah, no, I don't really use that. I, I might when I do like when I'm out in the streets in Thailand and I want to film somebody that looks unique, but I don't want to bother them. I might use it. But yeah, I, the, the stabilization on that lens is just it's sick. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, and funny thing is, I actually used to have a Sony A6300, so yeah. kind of the almost, you know, almost baby brother twin to what you had. Um, and I made one video with it, and I was like, "This is a pain in the butt. I'd rather just use my phone." Uh, it was way harder to, you know, to film with, and then to edit, and then the file sizes are huge. And I was like, "You know what? What am I doing? Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get rid of this thing and use my phone." Another thing too is with my iPhone, I can AirDrop, and so. Yeah. You know, I can instantly get my files where with the A6500, I got to like take the oh, the memory card out. I got to hook the dongle on. I got to like wait for it to like transfer from there to my computer. And like you said, the files are ridiculously huge. And sometimes the footage doesn't even come out. And then you're like, oh, you know, and it's like, like, it's just way too much work. It's so easy to just film it with your phone, airdrop it. I mean, there are YouTubers with huge channels that use GoPro or phones. You don't need that expensive equipment anymore. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I mean, and and you know, if you do it correctly, you can have pretty good quality. You know, I, I think the most important things, you know, is decent video that's decently stabilized, and then decent audio. <laughs> I think everything yeah. else is kind of a bonus. Yeah, yeah. I definitely I have the uh, Rode Wireless Go now uh, that I usually hook up to my phone, so I can just run a lapel mic. And I almost, I'm, always, I'm almost always lapeled up. Although the iPhone actually has pretty good 
actually it has pretty good audio for the most part. Yeah, surprisingly. Uh, and what are you edited? What, what program? Uh, Final Cut Pro. Oh, nice. I've always you been know, a Final Cut Pro user. What's funny is I, I bought Final Cut Pro. It was like you know, two ninety nine or something. And I used it for a couple of videos. And I realized I just started, you know, the only new features that I used. Okay, so I was using iMovie, which is the, the free version for, you know, for the first hundred videos. And when I upgraded to Final Cut Pro, I realized some basic things like rotating a video takes, you know, three extra steps. And the only real benefits that I saw were uh, being able to add like crazy different transitions or, or titles, which are things I probably shouldn't be messing with anyways. So I, I, yeah. I, I refunded it and I just read back to iMovie. No, that's smart. I mean, I tell people all the time, you, there's so much good free stuff out there now. You don't have to do that. I already had it. I knew how to use it. And, uh, but part, part of me, I do some things that are, that take a little bit of extra time, like color grading and stuff. But like today's video that I put out, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take a leap of faith here and I'm going to put this video out without color grading it. Or actually not today's video. It'll, it'll be tomorrow's video. I'm like, I'm going to put this video out without color grading it because color grading takes a long time and I don't think it makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, especially with the, you know, what's funny is with an, an iPhone, it kind of comes, you know, with the ni- with nice colors anyways. Uh, yeah, it does. So- it's you don't really need to color grade it. The times you really need to is the the more expensive your camera, the more you have to color grade. So like if you were yeah. shooting with like a a ten thousand dollar like a red, you know, you know whatever dragon or whatever they call them, you have to color grade it because uh, when when it comes out, you know, uh, kind of stock, they it comes in a kind of almost kind of a grayish tone because they expect you to add color to it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's it's. Uh... You definitely needed that. I used to do that with the A6500 because I thought, you know, that's what you're supposed to do if you're a good cinematographer. You you film in flat, you know, you film flat and then you add the colors because you're the, and then, but now I'm just like, I'm really, I'm actually not a cinematographer. I'm just a freaking vlogger. And, um, but I do know how to do like, you know, like, let's say you got some like dandruff on your shirt. You know, I know how to mask that. So I'll go through with that. <laughs> I'll do that kind of stuff where I'm like, oh man, my freaking, I got a freaking, you know, dandruff on my black shirt. It looks horrible. So I, you know, and it sucks that I know how to do that stuff because that stuff takes time. I actually wish I didn't know how to do it. Yeah, uh, that's that's funny. Uh, I'm I'm glad that I don't have those uh th- those problems because I pump out videos quickly. Like I I should spend a little bit more time on it. I think I get kind of uh, tired. I'm like, oh, let me just just publish, but. It's funny because I'll watch the videos, you know, a week later once they go live. And then I'll see all these things I wish I would have, you know, added. Like, for example, I, I had this um, apartment tour video of my place in Kiev. And uh, I was talking about what it looked like before. I was like, oh, yeah, this this guest room now looks way bigger without the, uh, the floor to ceiling built in closets. And I wish I would have added a clip of you know, the old closet so people could see. Uh, so little things like that, I do wish I, I I would spend more time on editing, but in general, I'm glad I kind of just, you know, rough cut it. Yeah. I think there's like, I think there's two ways to do it. Like you can get really good at becoming a person who does like really in-depth edits, or you can get really good at a per as a person who knows how to shoot where you don't have to do a lot of edits. And I think it's smarter to focus on what you're doing. I focus the other way and I'm actually trying to focus on the way you do it. I just started a new YouTube channel. I don't have any videos yet, 
Um, but my goal with that channel is to be able to make a video every other day and I'm not going to edit them other than like, you know, just jump, you know, jump cut edits where I like mess up while I'm talking or like there's dead space. I'm trying to think of an idea to talk about, but I'm not going to do anything other than that, cutting out the dead space and, and uh, cutting out the ums and things like that. You know, what's funny is I'm friends with Baldwin Bankrupt. And one of the questions I asked him recently that I'm sure a lot of people are wondering is what the heck is the difference between his main channel, Baldwin Bankrupt, and his new channel called Daily Bald, because they're not daily and they look exactly <laughs> the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. I follow him and yeah, he, you know, it's funny. He does videos. His videos are really well produced, but it, you know, and, but, and they're super long. That's how, but he doesn't have to put out a whole lot of videos. He, he doesn't put videos out very often. But, yeah. Um, and so that the answer for, for everyone who's, who's wondering is he said he intended it to be a daily channel where he didn't edit very much and he would just kind of, you know, show like, you know, rough cut behind the scenes stuff. But I think when you, you know, when you get good at like a certain way of doing something, it's hard to, to change. You know what I mean? It's like, no, it if you, if, yeah, like if you get really good at throwing uh, like, you know, free throws in basketball, like it's actually hard to miss. Yeah. You know, yeah, or like, yeah, like, make yourself miss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or if like, you know, let's say you're an artist or something and someone says, Hey, can you do this in half the time for half the price? You'll probably end up spending, you know, the same amount of time and just making it good. Cause it's just hard for you to like, you know, make something, you know, quick and crappy. Yeah, no, exactly. It, 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 it becomes hard. Like, cause you're, you know, you, you know how to do it right. And so you're like, uh, like even the video I just put out or I'm going to put out tomorrow. It was a, just a talking head video. It's called Why Thailand Now? Because everyone asks me all the time and I just want to point them to a video. And it could have just been a talking head video, but I I put a bunch of things over the top of the video. So as I'm talking about Thailand street food, you're seeing a video of Thailand street food and not just me talking about it, right? And I could have just, I probably could have edited it in 20 minutes had I not done all those overlays, but I've I can't do that. <laughs> so, you know, it took me a little bit longer than, than, than it probably should have to make that video, a 10 minute video. So w with these overlays, and, and this is a question I have uh, for all the YouTube ed kind of editors out there. Do you just like, I'm, I'm assuming you're using a clip that you had filmed before. Do you have like a, like a drive with all these clips organized or are you just like ripping that, that section off of your old videos on YouTube or how do you find, you know, that five second clip? So it's, a, it's kind of a combination of all those things. I have a lot of times I know what video it's in on YouTube. So I can just go YouTube or go to the YouTube video and I'll do a little, um, you know, quick time capture. Uh, Cause you can quick time capture now in 4k 60 frames per second. So you can even oh. slow it down if you need to. With yeah. With sound or no. Uh, you can, you can actually add sound if you want. Uh, oh, wow. You okay. can turn the sound. It kind of sounds like crap, but n normally I don't even do sound. It's just, I know like a scene that I want. Um, from like, you know, from a video. And so I'll just go in there and do that. And then I have a big, uh, you know, I have a bunch of videos that I keep on a little flash drive. That's just a bunch of things that I just drop into folders like, oh, th scenic Thailand, you know, scenic, you know, whatever. So last time I was in Thailand in 2019, I shot a bunch of stuff. So I can always go back and grab that stuff. I also use, there's a website, probably shouldn't tell people this because I'm probably one of the only people that does this, but there's a website called pexels.com. Mm -hmm. And they have 
a lot of photos, but they also have videos. Most people don't know they have videos where the person who shot the video um, lets anybody use use it free of free free use. And 99% of the time, you don't even have to give them credit. I usually do in my write up, but um, so a lot of times, like today, that video I shot, I was talking about um, being able to walk around Bangkok, and I don't I don't have a walk around Bangkok shot. So I just went into Pexels and typed in Bangkok and pulled a shot down that somebody had had done. Um, and, you know, no, um, I don't have to attribute anything to them. That's and cool. so, yeah, it's really cool. That's I P-E- used to have, P-E-X-E-L-S, right? Uh, yeah, Pexels.com. But you can also use pictures. A lot of times in my photos, you'll see like a picture. And I just use the Ken Burns effect to zoom in, mm-hmm. zoom out like a Thai temple, you know, like a picture of a Thai temple, you can get off there and do a little Ken Burns effect and it'll give like a slowed zoom in and uh, looks, you know, it looks almost like video. So, uh, so I'll uh, do that a lot. A lot another, another fun uh, trivia. Uh, why is it named Ken Burns? That's a good question. I, I don't know that. I mean, I'm assuming the first guy who ever did its name was Ken Burns. Yep. Uh, I looked up his <laughs> Wikipedia. Uh, Kenneth Lauren Burns is an American filmmaker known for a style of archival footage and photographs and documentary films. And I guess to, <laughs> to give a little bit of um, motion to those old uh, photos, he started doing that kind of panning effect, which has become yeah. known as Ken Burns. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I should have looked that up a long time ago because I've asked myself that before. I wonder why it's called Ken Burns. But that's funny that he like put a stamp onto something. Probably a thousand years from now, people editing videos will be calling it Ken Burns. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I, it's weird. Uh, I remember when I've always been the type to to like to know these little random tidbits or interesting facts. And I thought that when the first iPhone came out, that you know my life would be ruined because everybody would always know everything because you know <laughs> literally in our palm of our hands we can look up everything and anything and i realized that even though we can nobody does it <laughs> yeah yeah no you're right like i mean i have li- that little, yeah you like, have that you have that google lens now where you can just like point it at something and it'll tell you like what it is like you can point it at cm reef and it'll say cm reef you know you know uh built in the you know 8,000 years ago by the whatever you know you can even do yeah. it that way if you like if you don't want to take the time to google it but nobody does yeah, or ask Siri. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, or ask Siri. It, yeah. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, it, like I, I've literally been in situations where people spend twenty minutes arguing about something, and I'm like, <laughs> why don't you just Google it? Like, we all have phones. They're yeah. like, no, I know for a fact that the duck-billed platypus is a, you know, is is a amphibian or is a, you know, reptile or you know, whatever their crazy ideas are. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Actually, have you ever seen one? Like, where, where are those native to? Uh, a platypus yeah i i think aren't they native to australia uh i just looked it up yeah eastern australia including tasmania yeah i think that's For the only place I you can thought, find them too yeah yeah australia has all kind. australia and tasmania have all kinds of animals like that that you can only find only find there you know because they you know they just evolved without any interference yeah it is a strange world we live in all yeah. right so <laughs> to kind of uh wrap this up uh what have you been doing in quarantine? Have, have you have you worked out at all? Like, what have you been eating? Like, what, what's your kind of life like there? Yeah, so I'm actually in my next video at the end of it, you'll see me doing pushups. But I, I have uh, my my room's actually pretty big. So I've been running around my bed for 30 minutes every morning. I probably driving the people 
below me insane because I'm doing it like 5.30 in the morning. So they're probably like, what in the heck every morning? But uh, yeah, I run around uh, my bed for 30 minutes every morning. And then I was a drill sergeant in Navy boot camp for three years. So I know a lot of like exercises, you know, body weight exercises and things to do. So that's what I've been doing to get in shape. I've actually, I'm probably in better shape now than I have been in a long time. Cause I, you know, I work out two times a day and uh, yeah. So that's what I've been doing uh, to, to stay in shape in here. And I've been, I told you, I've been working on another YouTube channel uh, called dividend nomad. That's the name of oh, it. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, a lot of times I get people saying, yeah, it's great that you're doing what you do, you know, but you got a military retirement or which I don't even spend by the way, or, you know, you, you know, you need a ton of money to, to, to make a passive income source. I can never do that. So I'm starting a Schwab account and I'm just going to document me trying to build a passive income source that will fund my travel lifestyle. And I'm going to, take people along on that journey and show them like, Hey, you know, I'm not going to put any new money in, in it. It's going to be all or any um, old money in it. It's going to be all money that, you know, that I make monthly. I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to pay my living expenses and the rest are going to go into this account. And um, I'm going to build up this uh, dividend growth, investing passive income source. And I'm going to show people they can do it. I love it, man. That sounds really interesting. Actually, if, if you're up for it, we can hop on uh, invest like a boss after this and we can do an episode uh, <laughs> yeah, about, awesome. about all that all right let's do it guys I, although so, i'm not huh? although you know it's brand new so i don't even know yeah, what yeah. i'm going to talk about <laughs> no I, I think it's a, a good topic uh yeah. so kevin thanks so much for coming on uh guys listening if you want to check out maybe this follow-up interview if it, if it ends up uh, going live it'd be on invest like a boss my other podcast yeah, thanks johnny awesome hey bosses wanted to take a commercial break and let you know about this week's sponsor athletic brewing Co. If you are not sipping on a tasty beverage right now, go to the fridge and grab a can of something delicious. And if you're like me and you don't want to drink alcohol during the day, but you still want to have a tasty drink like an all-out stout or an upside-down, uh, you know, beer or a seltzer or something, you can check out athleticbrewing.com, and you can actually use. A promo code boss20 to save 20% off any of these non alcoholic brews, uh, anything from Run Wild IPA to Upside Down Golden Ale. There's a ton of delicious drinks, and they keep adding more. I would get the variety case just to see what you like, uh, but the Free Wave Hazy IPA sounds good, Cerveza uh, Athletica sounds good, actually, they all sound good. The First Ride Coffee Porter, and this is a great way to have a tasty, non-alcoholic brew uh, that's actually still a craft beer and because it's non-alcoholic you can drink anytime and it can be delivered to your door so go to athleticbrewing.com and use promo code BOSS20 Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast if you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.